knows what's going on. So it's good. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. And even though it's hot outside, Lord God, you are in control and you have great things to show us and teach us and transform us with as your word comes. I pray that you speak through me and through your word and that that, uh, you would transform us into the image of your son. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been doing a series over the last little while that's been all about Jesus. We've just been focusing on Jesus. Who's enjoyed it? Who's learned something? Anyone learned something? Yes. Yes? Hope so. I've only preached once, so it's all the others. Obviously, they're not listening. But, um, but the fact is, we've gone through all the different things that Jesus proclaims to be. We talked about Jesus being the door, Jesus being the good shepherd, Jesus being the light of the world, uh, Jesus being the seeker of those who are lost, uh, Jesus being the truth, and uh, James last week talked about Jesus being our foundation, all amazing things. And um, today I want to I continue to focus on that, but I want to focus on one of his titles that we don't often like to focus on, and, um, because we love to see him as our saviour, don't we? We love to see him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the, the risen king, the, the prince of peace, all of these things we love to see him as, but we don't always like to see him as the servant or the slave, because that's one of the titles that he declared himself to be. Now, in this day and age, we, we don't talk about having servants and slaves because it's not something that's done in our culture, but it, back in that time, uh, everyone had a servant or a slave, if you were wealthy or, or, or had a, were a bit well-to-do. And the fact was that it was a common job, but it was pretty well one of the lowest of the low jobs. It wasn't one of the jobs that people aspired to. Sometimes they were slaves where they were taken from other countries and became slaves of, of people uh, to do whatever they required. But Jesus himself declared himself to be a servant. <coughs> now, we sometimes like to dress that up a bit to make it sound a bit better. And we say he's the servant king. Isn't that right? But the reality is, and it, it says it really clearly in Matthew 12, verse 17 to 18, when they're declaring about Jesus and talking about who he is, and they relate it back to a prophecy made in Isaiah about the Messiah. And it says there, this fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him, concerning Jesus. Look at my servant, whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Now, this is what people would say about him, the writer of Matthew. But then Jesus himself declared the same sort of things. In Mark 10:45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John 6:38, Jesus declared this, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. You see, a servant doesn't do their own will. A servant does the will of their master or Lord. And so Jesus is declaring very clearly that I've come not to do my will, but to do the will of one who sent me. Then Luke 22 verse 27 says, For who is greater, 
the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus put himself with us. He put himself amongst us as a servant. And at this time, at Christmas time, we, we celebrate Jesus coming and becoming one of us to help bring us to, to rescue us and to save us. But often we think about it, what sort of plan did Jesus have or did God have in that he would come and be born to a poor family in, a, in the back blocks of Israel in a place that no one thought was important and would, not just, and would come as a servant rather than a leader or a king or as someone important? Why wasn't he born to a royal family? Why wasn't he born into a political family, the son of some Caesar or emperor or something like that? But he was born to a poor family and declared himself to be a servant. Why did Jesus choose to be a servant? And what does it mean for us, for you and me as followers of Jesus? What, what is, if our leader is a servant, what does that mean for you and me? In Philippians 2, we read this famous passage. and You can read it with me if you like. But Paul says these words, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We read this passage and we need to read it with the understanding that Jesus did everything for a reason. He did everything with a purpose in mind. And so when he declared himself to be a slave, to take the humble position of a slave, he was saying it for the purpose to remind us that we, you and I, must have the same attitude as he had. In other words, what Jesus is doing is he's showing us what it looks like to be a follower of God. See, even though he's the son of God, he understands that having the heart of a servant is part of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. You see, you can't be a part of the kingdom of God and not have the heart of a servant. See, being a part of God's kingdom means taking on the same attitude that Jesus had. What's that attitude? The attitude of a servant. Jesus explained it like this to his disciples in Matthew 20. You, you, most of you would know this story, but in this story, John and James' mother had come to Jesus and said, oh, I want my sons to be able to sit at your right hand. I want them, what you need to, she was like any good mother, was putting in a good word for their, her son. And the other disciples got wind of this and they're like, this is wrong. This is not right. And so Jesus gathers them together and he says 
these powerful words in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. What does he say then? But among you, who's he talking to? The disciples. He's talking to his followers, those who are following him. Who are, are any of us his followers here? So among you, you and me, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for others. You see, Jesus came into the world to show us what the kingdom of God looks like. And he makes it very clear in this passage that the kingdom of God looks very different to the world that we live in. Isn't that right? You see, he wants us, he wants us to understand that if we're a part of his kingdom, we need to change the whole way we view life. It's got to be different. See, if you want to be something, a significant member of his, his family, of God's family, then we, you need to learn how to serve. You need to learn how to take on the nature of a servant. To put it simply, having faith in God and doing things his way requires us to have a servant-like attitude. You see, faith and serving are inseparable. James explains this to us in James 2, verse 17, where he says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Our faith has to be accompanied by action. What is serving? Serving is action. Serving is helping others. Serving is laying your life down for those around you. Serving is giving of yourself to those who God asks you to look after. So I want to share around the idea of servanthood tonight. Why is servanthood so important? What is, is it about servants that is so attractive to the kingdom of God? If the kingdom of God and faith, having faith, requires us to be servants, then what is it about a servant that we should imitate, that we should look like? So I've got two things I want to share with you very simply Two reasons why servanthood is a sign of our faith. Number one is humility. Now, simply, humility is simply understanding who we really are. You see, in the, in the, from the original language of humility, or the language it comes from, is the Latin word called hummus. So, not the stuff you eat. Not the stuff you eat. Uh, not the dip. And what's it made out of? Chickpeas and garlic and... I don't eat that because I really stink after I eat that. But, um, but the fact is, it's, it's, um, it's not that stuff. What hummus means in Latin is literally earth. And the idea around it is the idea that someone who is humble is someone who is grounded. Have you ever heard that term about someone? When they're talking about someone who's like famous or whatever or, or well-to-do, they go, oh, but they're... They're a good bloke because they're so grounded. They, they, you know, they're still connected with the real world. And that's humility in, its, in itself. As Christians, you think about it. As Christians, we understand that God created Adam, 
God created mankind from the earth, the Bible says. Isn't that right? From the dust, he created Adam. And what did he do? He breathed life into the dust and formed Adam. And so the idea of humility for us as Christians is, is a reminder and an understanding that without God's breath in us, we're just dust. And we stay connected to that because we understand that without God's breath, we are just dust. And so everything we do is done in gratitude to God. Thank you, God, for the life that I have within me. Thank you, God, that I have breath in me, that, that I'm not just dust. And this is the great thing. There is nothing, when we understand humility, we understand that there is nothing beneath me. I am grounded because everything I have is a gift from God and I am thankful to him for it. Now I want to show you an example of this from scripture. And uh, many of you would have read this story many times in, um, oh, I will say this just before I go into this passage. The Bible continually says throughout Scripture that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And this is really important because when we talk about humility and understanding that God, everything we have is a gift from God, then when we do that, humility is like a doorway or a, a key that unlocks God's favour into our life. You see, when we come to him acknowledging the gift of life that we have to Him, have from him, then he responds to us with pouring grace into our life, pouring blessing into our life, pouring his favour into our life. There's a really good example of this in Matthew 15. This is the story of a lady they describe as, in some translations, the Syrophoenician woman, or in this translation, she's the Canaanite woman. So she's not a Jew. She's actually a Gentile. And we'll read it here in Matthew 15. It says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to a region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and, and suffering terribly. And Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was only sent for the lost sheep of Israel. So what did I say? She's a Gentile woman. She's a Canaanite. She's, a, she's from a, a, another country. And the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And then she goes, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. In this passage, you just read that. And I don't know about you, but this woman displays an amazing humility and restraint in my mind because Jesus has just called her a dog. I don't know... <laughs> If that was me, I would have said, blow you, Jesus. I'm not hanging around here. I would have been rightly offended. Who would have been rightly offended? It's just like, that's just not on. But she didn't give up. She said, Jesus, guess what? And this is my paraphrased version. But she goes, Jesus, well, the truth is, 
We're all dogs. Without God's help, that's the reality of it. And so I'll just take whatever you can spare because I know you've got life that I need. So she didn't go, oh, that's not fair. God, you shouldn't talk to me like that. Jesus, that's not the right thing. And storm off and throw a tantrum. She goes, well, you're right. We're all, without God, we're nothing. So I accept that, but just give me some crumbs from your table. That's humility. It's an acknowledgement that, hey, all of us, without God, are wrecks, are lost, are needing help. But when we acknowledge him and come to him, we say, thank you, Jesus, for whatever you can give me. It's a great reminder to us as children of God and servants of his kingdom that nothing is below us. That everything we need to look to him for everything that we need. The second thing that servants have and have to do is obedience. And so when it comes to faith, obedience is critical. The simple truth is that the value of a servant is dependent on their obedience. A servant is useless if they don't know how to obey. Could you imagine it? I won't say this, but I will say that if I had a servant, and I don't have a servant at all, I'll just, just shut that down right away. But if I had a servant and I said, I need my breakfast in bed today, where's my cup of tea, and nothing showed up, who would know that that servant would be in trouble? There would be consequences to pay and they would probably lose their job pretty quickly. And if it was in Jesus' time and they were slaves, they'd probably get beaten and, and to learn the right thing to do. But a servant has to quickly learn to be obedient if they're going to keep their job. Now, in Christian terms, we need to understand that without obedience, we will never grow in our faith. Without obedience, we will never grow in our faith. Steve said it a few weeks ago, but the reality is God limits his work in our life to our obedience. He can only operate to the extent of our obedience. If we refuse to obey, then God cannot go any further. There's a really good story, again, in in Jesus' time when he encountered a man, another Gentile, a man, a Roman centurion in Matthew 8. And in this story, we see the importance of obedience. And it says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? He's Jesus is a lot nicer to this bloke than the last one. He's like, maybe it's because she was a woman. I don't know. But um, in that time, in that time, it's a... But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Once again, humility. He displays humility. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, 
he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Another story where Jesus declares someone to have great faith. And what's he declaring his, him to have great faith for? Because this centurion understood the importance of obedience. Now many people would relate this to authority, but let's be truthful about it. Authority has no relevance unless people are pre- prepared to obey it. Authority has no relevance unless people are prepared to obey it. And that's why the centurion says here, I am a man under authority. So he says, I know that I have to obey those above me, but those below me have to obey me. And if I ask them to go, they go. And if I ask them to come, they come. And they'll do whatever I ask. And so he's explaining that the importance of obeying the authorities he was under. And the reality is in our world today, the respect for authority and obeying authorities is not really encouraged. And the truth is we see the consequence of, consequences of that in the type of world we live in. Isn't that right? That everyone does what they think is right in their own eyes. They don't think about the consequences for others. They, they just think, if I'm happy, then it doesn't matter if it hurts anyone else. And this is the... The amazing thing about this story is that when Jesus meets this man who displays great obedience and an understanding of obedience, he, he declares to him, you are a man of great faith. Because he relates it to the fact that in your walk with God, if you don't learn to be obedient, you will never learn to go where God needs you to go and to be who God needs you to be. And, and your faith will be stunted and your growth will not be as significant as it should. But when we learn to obedient, be obedient, then anything is possible. Anything can happen. You see, in both these stories, we, we meet people that aren't even Jewish, that it's the only two times in the time Jesus walked on the earth that he ever declares people to be of great faith. He says to, him, says to the woman, you have great faith. He says to this man, I have not found anyone in in all of Israel with this kind of faith. And there's that correlation there between the fact that, that, that as they stepped out with humility and obedience, that they were practicing great faith. And this is the, the thing that we need to, I want you to take from it, that when God calls us to be servants, he calls us to be humble and he calls us to be obedient. Now, they're not things that, people often like to hear. We don't like to hear sermons about you need to be obedient and you need to be humble because we live in a world that doesn't value those things as much as we, we should in the kingdom of God. But as Paul said earlier, what did he say? You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. You see... Ultimately, Jesus, the servant, is the expression of God's love in human flesh. And God calls us to have the same type of behavior, the same type of lifestyle and attitude. You see, Jesus was willing to lay aside his divinity because of his great love for us 
then it's our responsibility to respond to his love. Will we respond with the same kind of servanthood? Will we respond and say, God, I'm prepared to humble myself and obey you no matter what. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Because when we do, we'll discover that anything is possible in our lives. When we humble ourselves and we obey God and do what he asks us to do, I believe anything is possible. Not just in our own lives, but in the world that we live in. Anything is possible on this peninsula when a church would gather together and say, we want to be servants. We want to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We're prepared to humble ourselves and do whatever it takes to do what God would ask us to do. I want to close with this story. And in this story, it's one of Jesus' final acts and displays of servanthood when he was here on earth. And it's found in John chapter 13. The amazing thing about this story is that when Jesus tells or explains what's going on, he explains that if we would follow his example, we would discover what it means to be blessed. And so I want us to read from John 13. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. You think about the Roman centurion? Jesus understood the authority he had. And even understanding the authority he had, he still chose to do what I'm going to read next. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel, drying them with the towel he had around him. Then it goes on to say a bit later, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor the messenger, more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know these things, what are these things? That we are to wash one another's feet. What are these things? That we are to follow his example and serve one another. You think about it. Why would Jesus wash the disciples' feet? This is just before he's about to have the Last Supper. And so Judas is still amongst the 12. And Jesus still chooses to wash all their feet, including Judas, the one that he knows is, has betrayed him. But he still takes off his robe, wraps a towel around his waist, and takes on the role of a servant. You see, in that time, when you went to someone's house, 
the master of the house would get their servant to wash your feet to welcome you into the house. And it was a servant's job. It wasn't the master's job. But Jesus said, no, even though I have all authority that God has given me, I'm choosing right now to wash your feet. Why would Jesus do that? I think the only reason for me is that he wanted to show them how much he loved them. But he also wanted to show them, hey, the way we do life is different to the way the world does life. The way we do life is that we serve one another. The way we do life in the kingdom of God is that we humble ourselves and we do whatever the Father asks us to do. Follow my example, he says. Follow my example. That we would wash one another's feet. This is the life of servanthood God has called us to live. That we would humble ourselves and obey him no matter what he asks us to do. But isn't this the great thing about God, about Jesus? He doesn't ask us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. He leads by example. He's role modeled to us exactly what we should live our lives as. That we would wash one another's feet. That's what Philippians 2 is talking about. That he would humble himself and become a human. That he would not just become a human, but then he would continue to humble himself by obeying whatever the Father would ask him to do, even to die on a cross, a cruel cross. But this is the great thing. In this passage in John 13, at the bottom it says, God will bless you for doing them. He knows that in our passage in Philippians it says, and then, therefore, God raised him up and gave him a name above every name, higher than any other name, and that his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. You see, The path of humility and obedience brings us to a place where God says, I will bless you. I will pour my blessing into you. I will exalt you and lift you up. I will put you where you belong. But the pathway isn't by stepping over people or by by climbing for position or, or, or doing stuff to get noticed. No, the pathway is through humility and simple obedience. This is what God's called us to. We will experience God's blessing in our lives when we learn the humility and obedience of servanthood, church. That's the reality of it. When we learn to humble ourselves and obey, then we're living as servants. And as, when we're living as servants, we're imitating our master, We're imitating Jesus because that's what he did. He humbled himself and he obeyed. What more can we do to honour him than humble ourselves and obey and take on the attributes of a servant? We're going to pray in just a moment. But I had a sense that when I speak a message like this, that it's really important that we respond We don't always do this at church, but I had a sense that as I was preparing that God wants people to respond in some way to to show 
a decision to take on servanthood, to take on humility. And it may be even in, maybe the reason I, I felt that is because even in doing this, is, it's sort of humbling that you would respond and say, God, whatever you want, I'm going to act. I'm going to show you that I'm serious, that I want to be your servant, that I want to serve you and, and take on this same attitude that you had. And so we're going to pray in just a moment, but I would ask you to respond in some way. I'm not going to ask you to do anything big and elaborate. Maybe you just want to stand where you are. Maybe you, don't, you just want to lift your hands in surrender and say, God, I just surrender it all to you and I, I, I take on the attitude of a servant. Maybe you do want to kneel at your seat or you, maybe you want to come up the front here and say, God, I just lay it all down and I give it to you. I'm going to leave that in your hands in, in how you want to respond. But can I encourage you to consider acting on what God's challenging us with tonight, that we would become servants of the King. I'm just going to pray. And Julie's going to play this song and sing. And as she does, I just want you to respond as you feel comfortable, as you feel the leading in your heart to respond. Lord God, I thank you for your word tonight. I pray that you would speak and continue to speak into our hearts about taking on the same attitude you had, that you are Jesus the servant, the servant who came and humbled himself and obeyed his master to the very end for the benefit of others, that you gave everything you had and God, I am so amazed now that you are exalted and high above all and you are the one who won the victory and has set us free. And we are so grateful for that, that tonight we respond to you and say, God, we want to follow your example. We want to live like you lived. God, help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Respond as you feel.